0: Our New Testament reading for today is the basis for our sermon message, and it is from Romans chapter 14, where Paul writes As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or what, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace
1: from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning, this ongoing study of Romans today, chapter 14. And I need you to remember that in this book of Romans, Paul is attempting to draw the boundaries for the establishment of a community of faith. That represents the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, that's the world put right, in first century Rome and in 21st century Oviedo. So, in chapters 1 through 11, Paul has explained the gospel that we are justified in God's sight by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And therefore, we are simultaneously both sinful and yet completely righteous and perfect in God's sight. And when we get that, when it clicks, when we fully understand the gospel, when we fully experience the gospel, the result of that is a life of grateful and joyous love. So in chapter 14 Paul is going to apply all that he has been saying to a very specific case a problem that would appear to have been happening in the Roman congregation. He is in effect, saying okay now let me show you how all of this that I have been saying applies to this specific problem that you are having. And that problem is how are we going to deal internally within our fellowship of faithful Jesus followers when, when differences, when, when preferences in our life together that are neither commanded nor forbidden by God in the Scripture threaten to divide us. Hmm. So here's the goal of this sermon. That as a congregation, St. Luke's would be so deeply rooted in Christ that our small differences and our small preferences can simply be accepted and appreciated, and the big differences when they occur can then be explored. They can be handled in a way that respects and honors one another. As with all of these practical sections at the end of the book of Romans, Paul winds up telling us why that's important, and then he tells us how to achieve it. So first, let's look at why is it important to welcome and embrace such differences and preferences as we find amongst ourselves. Well, I think it would help to start with the most obvious one. That such differences and such preferences are bound to happen. I mean, we are, we are fallen, sinful human beings. Even though we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we struggle when, when things are different than what we are used to, when, when things are different than the way, the way we like it. Over the years, my wife Lois, who is a high school math teacher, has been required to take numerous classes on how to interact with students from vastly different cultures and backgrounds. And in one of those uh, training sessions, her class was divided into two groups, sent to two different rooms, and given 15 minutes to learn a new group culture. Now, these were odd little patterns of behavior that they were required to use with one another in the way that they interacted with each other in the group. After 15 minutes of practice, ambassadors were sent from each group to observe the other and then to report their observations to the whole group when it reconvened. Now, what was fascinating is that the ambassador's observations were consistently negative and critical, pointing out how unfriendly and unwelcomed they felt. That was after 15 minutes of group culture formation and practice. (laughs) Now imagine what we are like after a lifetime of being formed by and practicing our unique differences. The point is this, that when we are faced with something different, our fallen nature wants to find fault. It's very hard for us to experience what others do that is different from what we do or that is different from what we like and not be negative and critical. So Paul says, don't quarrel over opinions. And interestingly, the Greek word translated opinions here is never used in the New Testament to refer to good thoughts. <laughs> in other words, if we are left to ourselves and we are faced with differences and preferences other than our own, our thoughts, our opinions will lend themselves to quarreling. So, why is it important to welcome and embrace such variety in things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in the scripture? because they're inevitable and without a conscious effort to the contrary we will wind up quarreling about them But we're called to be a city set on a hill. We're called to be a light shining in the darkness, beckoning people to come and to have their hearts awakened to the power of life in Christ, to make people jealous of the peace and the harmony and the respect and the honor that is shown to each other. Now, the church in Rome, at the time Paul wrote this letter, was made up, we think, of of small little house churches that were scattered throughout the city. And, and, And Rome was a very cosmopolitan city with people from all over the empire, and it is entirely possible and, in fact, lightly that these groups had their own unique patterns and practices of gathering, and that they did not regularly, if at all, interact with each other but when they did the sparks flew now paul names at least three points of friction for these roman christians it was food festivals and in the verses after our reading today drinking wine Did the followers of Jesus need to observe the Old Testament rules about clean and unclean food? Some said yes, others said no, Jesus fulfilled all those ceremonial laws once and for all. Was it okay to eat meat that had been purchased in the market after it had been sacrificed to a pagan god? What about Jewish festivals, the Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacle? and wine well drinking alcohol has always been a hot topic because and this may be a surprise to some of you sometimes people drink too much of it look if paul were writing to us where would he find us quarreling over opinions about things that are neither commanded nor forbidden well I suppose food can still be a divider someone will quote Paul in Corinthians and say hey the body the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and since we know scientifically that certain foods are very unhealthy some will conclude that we should rigidly watch not only what we eat but what everybody else eats too others not so much I mean, surely the most visible and ongoing quarrel among Christians is over worship styles. Now, we're blessed here at St. Luke's to have facilities that accommodate multiple worship styles simultaneously. Nevertheless, the little jabs and the barbs that I still hear sometimes from both sides are not always very gracious or kind. Oh, I know. How about what is appropriate dress for worship? Any opinions out there about that? Or you know what? How should children behave in worship? Or what about the method of the distribution of the Lord's Supper? Or should we greet one another before, during, or after worship? Look, the number of things that church people have found to quarrel about is almost limitless, and that quarreling, I think, has poured gas onto the fire of the exodus from mass religion, from organized religion that is so common today. Secondly, why is it important that we seek to welcome one another in spite of our differences, in spite of our preferences? Well, Paul says that it's because our quarreling leads to judging. Now, Jesus flat out says, judge not lest ye be judged. And Paul says it more than once, who are you to pass judgment? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And if that's not enough, he reminds us we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Look, this part is important, so let's be very careful to understand what kind of judging Jesus and Paul are talking about. Because just last week in our gospel lesson, we heard Jesus say, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Now that is judging. But that judging is to be done in a genuine, love-driven way that seeks to help a faithful follower of Jesus be the person that God created them to be and that Jesus died on a cross to restore to them. No, the judging that Jesus and Paul forbid is this haughty, Condescending, self righteous judging. Paul clarifies it when he says, Why do you despise your brother? This self righteous judging is when you measure others by the standard of your preferences and then you condemn those who prefer otherwise. I need you to remember what I'm talking about today. In this sermon, I'm talking about things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in the Scripture. This is a narrow focus. And in this narrow focus, our self-righteousness becomes a faith killer. Because it is actually possible to imagine... That you have faith in Jesus when, in fact, you have become a judgmental despiser that needs Jesus less and less the more self-righteous you become. Till, of course, you stand before the judgment seat of God. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus terrifyingly states that there will be some who will cry out, Lord, Lord, did we not preach and teach in your name and do all kinds of good works for you? And Jesus will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you ask me, why is welcoming one another in spite of our differences and our preferences so important? Well, because quarreling about such things leads it to judging, which feeds our tendency to be self-righteous, which can kill our faith, and being faithless will not fare well in the final judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to avoid that so how how can we welcome the differences and the preferences that we have amongst ourselves well this is not complicated because paul is going to point us squarely at jesus death on the cross and his resurrection he writes to this end, christ died and lived again that he might be lord of both the dead and the living now what's he saying Paul is saying that Jesus is Lord over all. And if I happen to be over here on a difference or a preference, and you're over there on another difference or another preference, but we are all focused on Christ, trying to become more and more like him, then look, we are always going to be progressing toward one another. (laughs) How do you engage in that process look you're gonna have to constantly check your attitudes toward the differences and the preferences of things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in God's word in fact this is the very heart of the issue examine your attitudes people Those words make me think of Philippians chapter 2. The old NIV translation read, Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Back in the early days of my ministry, when I was trying to figure out who I was as a pastor, and even if I wanted to still be a pastor, my sister had died at age 34 from cancer, and I was a little sore with God about that. But I asked myself, how does something become an attitude? And it seemed to me then, and still does, of course, still on a very simplistic level, that attitudes are what are formed in us by repetitive experience and thought processes that produce a sort of thought groove or, or pattern in the brain, like a rut in the road of how we think, you might say. So that now, every time I hear or experience something that forces me to think differently, to say the least, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm also more likely agitated, and I will instinctively reject whatever it is. But listen, if I set my mind on things above, If by the power of God's Holy Spirit working in me through my baptism, through the Word, through the Lord's Supper, through my conversation with fellow followers of Jesus, then my attitude will become more and more like Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be granted, but humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And then... A world of opportunity opens before me, which is going to take us right back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Do you remember how all of this practical application that Paul is teaching started? He said, in view of God's mercy, that is, in view of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Quarreling over things that are neither commanded nor forbidden and demanding your rights is the way of the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now frankly, that testing will undoubtedly require us to get out of the ruts that are carved into our brains. It's going to mean being curious enough to actually talk to each other about our common bond namely Jesus. And then it will mean carefully minding our thoughts and even harder minding our tongues. Sometimes we will surely have to rethink our position and simply refuse to condemn those who think differently and always, always we will need to curb our natural tendency to be negative and critical. Why? So that this will be a community of faithful followers of Jesus who are able to exhibit for all of the world to see that we have been made right with God only through Jesus. And that we can actually look forward with great joy and anticipation for the day when he will come again and we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now when I cover the final judgment in new member class I use an illustration of of watching a video up on big screens like this... of your whole life for everybody to see. And it seems kind of terrifying. Because there are a lot of things that I have thought, said, and done... that I would never want anyone to see. But the gospel of Jesus Christ declares that through your faith... and his life, death, and resurrection... all, all of the less than perfect moments in my life and in yours have been edited out of your video and all that is left are the good things that we have thought and said and done through our faith which Jesus says even includes the smallest act of offering a cup of cold water to one of these little ones and then I conclude that illustration by observing that you remember the thief on the cross his life video was going to be really, really short. Because he believed, he was forgiven, and then he died before having any opportunity to live out that new faith. The Apostle Paul, on the other hand's video, is probably going to be a multi-season docudrama that will take weeks for us to watch. Look, in Jesus, you and I will stand boldly and confidently before the judgment seat of God, sins forgiven, transformed again today to welcome each other with all of our differences and all of our preferences to show the world the power of life in Christ. Amen. We've been working on these weekly awakening questions and so trying to keep it short enough, for you to write down or remember here's what this week's is how can you pursue peace within your church community more actively how can you pursue peace within your church community more actively now may that peace of god which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting amen